I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Last week, uh, we saw that unbelievers, natural men and women, cannot receive the wisdom of God. If you look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 2.14, you could review that lesson. Natural men and women, lost people, cannot receive the wisdom of God. We learned that they, were at, they are at a deficit that they ca- cannot overcome by themselves. Because if they're going to understand God's things, God's things are only spiritually appraised. That means they need the Spirit of God in order to understand the things of God. But then in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2, we also drew a lesson to understand things about believers. Believers can understand the things of God. As a matter of fact, believers can appraise all things. We can understand the world's things and God's things. And that is primarily because, as that text ends, Paul says, because we have the mind of Christ. Remember, right before that, in verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul takes a question from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah asked, who could possibly understand the mind of the Lord? Or who could be God's counselor? And Isaiah's Uh, expected answer is that no human being left to themselves can understand God or offer advice to him. But Paul's answer is a bit different. It builds off of that. And it, it speaks in reference to believers. Paul's answer in verse 16 is, we ourselves have the mind of Christ. Believers can begin to understand God's wisdom Because God has given us his spirit, who fully knows and understands him. And so we see that in chapter 2. But but then what we find in chapter 3 is that something is wrong in Corinth and in the Corinthian church. So in chapters 3 and 4, Paul explains that the Corinthian church was following and applying human wisdom to the church. And so what Paul does is he goes about in this chapter getting really practical with the Corinthians by showing them different characteristics of what following human wisdom looks like in church or in the church life. And then by discussing the effects that embracing human wisdom was having upon the church. Another way of saying that is Paul begins here by looking at some of the unintended consequences of embracing human leaders or human wisdom and running a church in that way. And so, while applying worldly wisdom to the church might be alluring, it will have unintended consequences. A few decades ago, whole generations or groups of churches applied worldly wisdom to the church in a seeker-sensitive approach to church. This was led by people like Rick Warren and Bill Hybels, who suggested that churches must get better at appealing to unbelievers in their worship services. So 45-minute sermons were replaced with short, informal story-based conversations that address the needs of the culture 
the needs of unbelievers. Church spiraled even lower with arranging stunts on the stage and polishing every aspect of their performance on a Sunday morning in order that they might reach the lost. Some churches, it got so bad that they established or built food courts in the, in the welcome centers with four or five restaurants like McDonald's and Starbucks in order to reach people. Many of these churches, they built jumbotron screens so that if, you're, if you happen to be in the very back of the auditorium, you can still see the speaker. And in some extreme cases, they built bowling alleys and health spas in efforts to rich, reach people. It's interesting to me, though, that a few years ago, the leaders of the seeker-sensitive church admitted that the whole thing was a failure as if we really needed to know their opinion. (laughs) They said, you know, this whole thing's a failure. They were not able to reach lost people the way that they wanted. They actually became a haven for disgruntled church people from all kinds of other different small churches, which actually may be a way of reaching lost people. (laughs) Ones who were attracted to churches like this became entirely me or self-focused in their mentality. Worship was all about impressing me, meeting my needs, giving me what I can have, keeping me alert and attentive and, and, and ministering to me. And, 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 and this is one of the unintended consequences of that philosophy. The conversation and the mentality of the existing believers, the believers who were there, became increasingly shallow so that Even adult believers or mature believers knew very little of their Bible. So that approach to ministry had unintended consequences. And the same thing in in some ways was true at Corinth. And I want to read this with you. Look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So I understand these four verses. I think Paul lays out two consequences of following and applying human wisdom to the church. So as we come to chapter 3 in our text, what Paul does is he begins a new contrast. Chapter 2 at the end was about the spiritual man, believers, and natural men and women, right? Saved and unsaved, whereas in chapter 3, he'll begin a contrast between believers who are controlled by the Spirit of God, and believers who are not. And he's got some very difficult things to say to the Corinthian believers, because I believe what we see in this text is that the Corinthian believers were having dialogue with natural men and women. They were unduly influenced by secular attitudes and values 
and they were blindly doing what their own flesh would tell them to do in the name of church. And so Paul will discuss these two consequences to them. Uh, First of all, following or embracing human wisdom in the church prevents spiritual growth, verses 1 through 3. It prevents spiritual growth. I think that in verses 1 through 3, Paul narrates the Corinthians' experience and their lack of growth in two stages. First of all, verses 1 and the first part of verse 2 are about their conversion experience, or just after that. Upon the conversion of the Corinthians, they could only handle, or could not handle, deep instruction. Look down in your Bible at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, of what time is Paul referring to when he writes verse 1 and the first part of verse 2? I believe that he is talking about the time just after many of the Corinthian believers were converted. If you remember, Paul plants the church in about 51 AD or so. And so verses 1 and the first part of verse 2, Paul is describing the condition of believers who are babies in Christ. They haven't advanced very far because they haven't been saved for a time. And so as he works through this, he describes his approach. He says, first of all, you were people of the flesh. You were made up of flesh. You were fleshy people. This describes their material relationship to the world, and it emphasizes their humanness. So when Paul was with them on his church plant visit, and even just after that, he had to address these Corinthian believers um, as fleshy people or as babes or infants in Christ. And in doing this, he had to use a certain type of teaching with them. Look down in your Bibles and you can see that Paul decided to give them milk teaching because they weren't able to handle more, right? And we shouldn't get to, at this point, we shouldn't get too offended with the Corinthian believers because they haven't been saved for a long time. And so Paul says, right after your conversion on the church plant visit, I had to use a certain type of instruction with you. Milk teaching. Now, what's milk teaching? My opinion, milk teaching is a figurative way for Paul to refer to basic Christian teaching. You know, the the ABCs of Christianity. Paul would rather have spoken of things on a different level, deeper things. He would rather give them solid food, but they were new believers and he wasn't able to do so. So what is milk teaching? It's basic Christian teaching. Well, what is the meat that he talks about here? Meat teaching is teaching to convinced and obedient Christians who can handle discussing God's wisdom. In other words, I think the solid food is more complex matters of Christianity which require greater understanding. So, verses 1, in the first part of verse 2, Paul says, I didn't give you much of the deeper spiritual things because you were new believers. You were fleshy people. You were babes in Christ. 
But then what you have to understand is when you get to the middle of verse 2 in your Bible, he begins to describe a different time period. Okay, so look down in your Bible again, verse 2, right in the middle. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. In the last part of verse 2 here, Paul says they're still not able to discuss the deeper truths of God's word. Now, of what time is Paul discussing in the middle part of verse 2 and the first phrase of verse 3? I think it, it's, it's fairly obvious, right? It says now. Okay. So Paul here is describing the time that he's addressing them when he writes 1 Corinthians. Okay, so some of them were converted in about 51 AD or so. And then Paul writes this letter in 55 to 56 AD. So it's been about four to five years since some of them have accepted Jesus as their Savior. And Paul says, but there's a problem now. Okay, you were babes in Christ. That could be understood in the fact that you just had come to know him. But now I'm still not able to address you as spiritual people. I'm still using milk. I can't use meat because you're still not ready for it. I think Paul begins to describe a problem. In verse 3, then, he gives the grounds for their inability. The reason that they're unable to digest solid food is because they are still of the flesh. What's interesting to me as I study this part of my Bible is to know that the word flesh here is a different word than the word that was used earlier. The, the, the first word in verse 1 described the fact that they were made up of the flesh. Okay, your, your basis Christ. It's like you don't have much of the Spirit, but this word speaks of their ethical relationship to the world. Simply being built of fleshy things is not the problem that Paul's targeting here, but the problem is Although they've been saved for a few years, they are fleshly. They are controlled or dominated by their flesh. Being controlled or dominated by the flesh is not the normal condition of a child of God. And Paul expects the Corinthians to be beyond this and suggests that they have perhaps they've been overly influenced by the world. I like to use the illustration, imagine that you're out in the cold, and you come, you've been out in the cold, and it's hard for us to imagine in Virginia Beach on such a beautiful day, right? But you're out in the cold, you know, 20 to 30 degrees. That used to be warm for me, but uh, you're out in the cold, and you come in by the fire. Why are you coming in by the fire? To get warmed up, okay? Now, if you sit by the fire, and it's been 10 minutes, and you're not warm, you might get a little bit closer, right? And you wouldn't expect maybe that there's a problem here, but if you sit by that fire for the entire day and you just can't get warm, there could, there's some sort of major problem here. As Paul's describing the Corinthians, he says, you know what, there were ways I expected you to behave. There were things I thought that you could address when you're early as a believer, but it's been like a long time. And I still cannot address you as spiritual people. Chapter 2, he says, there's two different types of people. Natural men and women who cannot receive the things of God because they do not have the Spirit, and there are spiritual people who can understand and know the mind of the Lord. But as I look at you, I'm like, where are you at? I can't even address you like spiritual people. I have to address you like people of the flesh. He's pointing out a problem with 
the Corinthian assembly. And I think a part of this problem comes down to them taking human wisdom and trying to use it in the assembly. Taking the wisdom of the world and trying to apply it to church. I think I can make that point as we continue to go throughout chapters 3 and 4. And so it appears to me that one of the consequences of taking wisdom from the world and trying to incorporate it into our assembly would be that it prevents normal spiritual growth. So if we as a church are here and we start interacting and someone would come in and they start interacting with believers who've been here for a time, and those believers don't understand the deep things of God, they don't know their Bibles, that's a problem. That's a problem. This reminds me of another text in Scripture, one that I read to you earlier. Could you turn over to Hebrews 5 for a moment? Hebrews 5, the Scripture that we read in the introduction, is something that in many ways is parallel. The author of Hebrews, in in Hebrews 5, verse 11, begins a strong warning to the church. I personally believe that the author of Hebrews was also a preacher. You know, the, whoever the author of Hebrews is, that's like a huge question, right? If I say Paul, by the way, that's just by accident because I'm in 1 Corinthians, uh, although he may have written it. But the author of Hebrews not only was a writer, I think that originally the book of Hebrews may have been a sermon. It had been originally composed that way and delivered to a group of people. He once in Hebrews 5, you're there in your Bible, he wants to tell them more about Jesus' priesthood. Specifically, he wants to describe that Jesus came from the order of Melchizedek. You ever remember seeing this in your Bible? Melchizedek, right? Obscure Old Testament figure. So imagine the author of Hebrews, he wants to go into, into the depths and describe how Jesus' priesthood and how he follows Melchizedek. But if you notice in the text, he says uh, in verses 11 through 13 that it had become hard to explain for him not because of the content of Jesus' priesthood and how he relates to Melchizedek, but because they were dull listeners. Look at verse 11. About this, about the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain Why? Because you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the very basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not meat, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. The word dull here is a very colorful word that means that they were lazy or negligent listeners describes their apathetic attitude toward what this preacher, what this writer is saying. So one author said this. He said, um, while they were present in body, they were absent in mind in what might as well be images or statues. Statues. Sometimes as a preacher, you feel like that. You feel like you're preaching to boxes or something. You know? As he's describing these people, I think the author is like a preacher who mentions a deep theological word and his audience responds with lazy smirks and condescending arrogance and apathy. It's like they convulse 
at the mention of Melchizedek. Oh, no. Not that, like, deep doctrinal stuff again. And so he gives us, in in Hebrews 11 here, characteristics of their spiritual sluggishness. Sluggish spiritual people, listeners, need the basics of God's word continually repeated to them. Ever have someone like this at work, you're trying to train to understand something, and they can't get beyond turning on their computer? It's like, you know, this is like like week three. I thought you'd have that down. We wrote it on a sticky note for you and everything. You know, you really need to get beyond turning on your computer. That, That person won't have much of a future in the job, right? The author of Hebrews, you you have to have these basic components, the fundamental principles of Christ repeated over and over again. They need milk, not solid food, because they're unskilled in the word of righteousness, which means they have a lack of skill or experience in applying the word of righteousness to their lives. Men and women, sometimes spiritual immaturity can be perceived as you listen to someone talk about the preaching. If, if you can't show me relevance to my life, then I don't want it. And if this guy, if he doesn't get to an application or an illustration soon, like in the next three minutes, I'm out. And if he mentions Melchizedek again, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing to that. I think sadly, many Christians today approach God like a small, lazy, self-centered child. They want the nine R's of relationships. Oh, that's really cool. I like how the R's line up like that. Or they want the seven love languages, or however many there are these days, instead of the scriptures. I always get really concerned when I hear believers brag about being blessedly ignorant of the scriptures, the deep things of God. Or if I hear a believer boast about being content with elementary teaching of the scripture, when I hear that, I think of their ministry. I think of their families. I think of their children and the impact that that has on them. And it grieves me. When you think about this on the foundational level, the Bible is God's word to us, his special revelation. God gave us every part of the Bible in order that we might relate to him. In other words, the creator of the universe condescended to you, and he wants to talk to you. He's got things to say to you, and you say, no thanks, I'm out. Now, we, we must be Bible people. I'll go back to 1 Corinthians, and I'll try to remind you of this in that text there as well. When we exalt human wisdom and we apply it to our church, it prevents spiritual growth. Before we start boasting and bragging about you know, our lack of desire for the deep things of God, we should really think about it. There's another consequence I want to take you through just briefly, and that is found in the end part of verse 3 and also uh, verse 4. 
The second consequence of embracing human wisdom and applying it to the church is that it brings disharmony to the church. Look at the middle part of verse 3. Paul says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely humans? I picture Paul in these verses like a great prosecuting attorney who's going to prove that they're following human wisdom. And he's got three exhibits that prove it. Exhibit A is that they're full of jealousy. He's asking these questions. Um, He says, for while there is jealousy among you. This jealousy here means something comparable to envy or rivalry. Jealousy, in its simplest form, is wanting what someone else has. And so, if I were to describe jealousy, I would say these are the inner feelings of envy. We're envying what someone wants. This is jealousy. It's coming from within. And so, Paul lays out this first exhibit that's going to prove, it's going to prove that they're of the flesh, that they're functioning merely on a fleshly level. You're full of jealousies in the assembly. And then, exhibit B, they're full of strife. If strife is a bit different than jealousy, it's because this word speaks of quarreling or disputing. This is taking the inner feelings of jealousy, and this is when it becomes um, external, outward. Okay, so this could be face-to-face encounters or behind-the-back grumblings. The Corinthians were quarreling and disputing, and this was impacting their Christian community. So he's laying out these different exhibits. As I look at the church of Corinth, I see all of this internal jealousy, and I see all of this external disputing, this strife, and then uh, the third exhibit is they're also full of divisions. In some versions of the Bible, um, you actually have that word division there. Um, I think it's probably best not to see it there, but the concept of division is clearly seen in this text in verse 4. He says, some of you are saying you follow Paul, some Apollos. I think he's describing that the church is dividing up into different groups. But his point with these questions is to say this. you you got all kinds of jealousy in your assembly. You're full of strife in your assembly, outward quarreling and disputing. And you've got all this division. You're following up, lining after different apostles. Does that not mean that you are of the flesh? Okay, so those three exhibits are proof or evidence of something that is far worse, something more foundational, okay? So it's like saying, you know, when we apply human wisdom to the church, it will have unintended consequences. There are different ways it will manifest itself and things we wouldn't even expect. But the real foundational problem is we're following and applying human wisdom to the church, In other words, with these questions, I think he's saying, isn't that what merely human people do? These evidences, jealousy, strife, and divisions, prove that they are of the flesh. They prove that they're taking their sense of values and standards from the the world. And so Paul's final question in verse 4 really needs to be heard. He says, when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, 
Are you not being merely human? Aren't you just functioning like a human being without the Spirit of God? It's like you're functioning only on a human level. You're not really considering God and the Spirit and His wisdom. It's as if they don't even have the Spirit of God informing them. They're living on the level of the flesh. This is a significant problem in Corinth. One day, uh, someone went up to Martin Luther and told him that his followers were being called Lutherans. And they asked him what he thought about that. I love Luther's response. I don't know if you ever heard this, and it sounds very much like Luther. If you've ever read any of his reading or any of his writings or heard songs based upon his theology, Luther said, "Why would I be happy that they follow a maggot like me? Maggot like me." Ironically, it was uh, John Calvin who made this statement about this text. Calvin said, "Those that extol men above measure." Strip them of their true dignity. For the grand distinction of them all is that they gain disciples to Christ and not to themselves. As we go throughout this text, one of the manifestations of the fact that this church was functioning only on a human level was that they were exalting human leaders. They were lining up behind human beings. And Paul says... This is a severe problem. Following worldly wisdom has unintended consequences. Prevents spiritual growth in an assembly. And it produces disharmony. Things like envy, strife, and divisions. By God's good grace, may he protect us from these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we've interacted with this text of Scripture. We've just begun to dig a little bit deeper at some of the problems in the Corinthian assembly. Lord, I would pray that you would allow us to be a growing church, growing spiritually in depth and understanding of you and your word. And I would pray, Father, that you would help us to be a unified church. Church that doesn't divide up into different groups following different personalities. But Lord, as we've seen in this text, those two problems can be just a consequence of something far deeper. That, dear Father, is when we try to take wisdom from this world and apply it to the church. Lord, I would pray that you would protect us from things like this as an assembly. I would pray that 20, 30, 40 years from now, none of us would be embarrassed or ashamed at what you're doing in this place. Lord, may this church continue to be about the Word of God, equipping believers in the assembly to reach the lost and to glorify you. 
Lord, may you do this here with us for your own honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name.